0: Welcome to season six of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie, and now a Sue Ryder. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, currently at London Marathon events, but formerly at Alzheimer's Research
1: UK. Coveted new media age cover star from February 2007, Van Stanton beer pong finalist, and co-host of the Do More Good podcast.
0: You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good, podcast. Do more good. Do good. Do more. Do more good podcast. Do
1: more good podcast. More good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah,
0: you okay, say it. you are listening to the Do More Good podcast.
1: Right, here we are, James, episode number 73 of the Do More Good podcast.
0: How are you doing? I'm good, Kenneth. I'm very well. You? Because I can see you've got a beer on the go there. Yeah, breaking up for Easter today. So uh, looking forward to
1: some activities with the children over the next few days. We've got horse riding, we've got football coming back this weekend or kids football coming back this weekend. So, yeah, looking forward to just having a bit of a break from work
0: and um, spend some time at home. Yeah, nice, nice. Football is very much the theme at the moment. We had Junior on recently, and we've got a football theme this evening as well. You've been trying to contact Leo Messi to try and get him on in the future. So we're definitely going down that route at the minute, aren't we? Yeah, we are. It just seems to develop that way, hasn't it? Yeah, the conversation with Junior was obviously
1: really interesting. And, uh, well, big Arsenal fan, James, right? Why did you choose Arsenal?
0: There's two versions to this story, as you know. We We had our episode at the Arsenal. So I live in south-east London. My gran used to work at the Woolwich Arsenal. She right. was there. Uh, so there's a long family history, but that has got no relation whatsoever to me supporting Arsenal. She's a big Charlton fan. Um, it was all about Jimmy Connors in the playground, pinning me up against the wall, asking me what football team I supported. <laughs> and he was basically going to beat me up if I didn't say Arsenal. So that's that. How about you and the tune?
1: The tune is in my blood. Obviously, you can tell it by my Geordie accent, there. <laughs> Yeah, born and bred. Born and bred Newcastle fan, although for my sins at the moment, we're, we're pretty, pretty awful at the moment, aren't we? And have been for a few years. But yeah, there was no other option for me. It couldn't be Sunderland, that's for sure. And it was always going to be the tune, so... Yeah, yeah, that's
0: it. I mean, I supported Arsenal back in, you know, from nineteen eighty nine, the glory days, and then I had the team, obviously the Naughties team that were incredible. I think it's much, it's, it's much better that you're supporting them through the bad times as well. That's much more <laughs> honourable.
1: Don't know about supporting yeah. them. Getting my son to wear a Newcastle shirt is increasingly difficult
0: <laughs> and actually
1: <laughs> today's guest is becoming the flavour of the month in terms of oh really uh, yeah yeah, yeah. both of them actually both my my son and my daughter have both taken that way but glory glory supporters well yeah fair enough fair enough <laughs> but I was just thinking then it seems when did we record the 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 derby episode at the Arsenal that was it was just before lockdown, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. January, February last year.
0: That's right. Yeah. Little did we know. We were yeah, taking our lives into our own hands there for the for the podcast. we we'll would yeah. have to do that again, eh? That was we will. a great
1: Sunday.
0: Do you want to crack on then, James? Should we get on and introduce our guest this week? Let's do that. So I'm on the intro this week. And our guest joined the Liverpool Football Club Foundation in March twenty nineteen. Having started his professional life as a PE teacher in South East London, he has over 20 years experience in sports and community development, having previously worked at Charlton Athletic Community Trust and Burnley FC in the community, two of the leading football club charities in the UK. After two years as the LFC Foundation Director and developing a solid operational structure that's seen the number of people that the foundation engages with increase by a massive 80%. He was recently appointed CEO of the organisation and that allows him to take on more strategic role and to continue the development of the charity. The Liverpool Football Club Foundation was formed in 2010 to harness the power and passion of their fans and supporters to improve the lives of others. We were really pleased to connect and find out more about the organisation, the impact it has on the community and how it operates with the connection to one of the most well known football clubs in the world. So we're very pleased to welcome Matt Parish to the Do More Good podcast.
2: Hi James, okay. Thanks for having me. No Good stuff. Worries. I can't promise Lionel Messi, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> we will try. I'll we'll try. take Mo Salah,
1: that'll be fine. We'll take... Yeah, that'll be good.
2: That'll
1: be <laughs> Matt, thanks a lot for your time. You know, it, it's great to connect with you and, you know, obviously looking back and researching as we do and looking at our guests' background, it looks like you've had a, a long career in, in the field of, of sports and, and work in the community. I guess the first question is, is how do you go from a PE teacher in South East London to the CEO of a football club foundation in the North West?
2: How does that happen? Yeah, it does sound a bit random. I think primarily for me, it was, a, it was a passion for sport generally, more specifically football. I was probably the least gifted footballer of my generation. So <laughs> that route, as much as I wanted to be a professional footballer, wasn't going to happen. Grew up in a sort of a working class family in, in South East London. My family leanings probably, although my dad wasn't somebody, a big football fan, would, would have been perhaps more towards Millwall in terms of my family, but i sort of, Peckham and Bermond's in that part of South East London, but I was born in Lewisham. We moved out to sort of South East London, North Kent. Charlton was my closest team geographically. A bit like your, James, your story, all of my mates, for whatever reason, were, were West Ham fans. Um, right. One of my friend's dads was a Charlton fan, but I played for West Ham, so we used to watch both. And I think for an early age, I got the sense of that football community piece, if that makes sense. So, you know, the guys that I played... Football with I'm still mates with now. You know a lot, them, and some of them dotted around. You know, some became teachers and live in all different parts of the world. So that that whole football was a as a vehicle for life, if for want of a better term, a, a real centre of, of, of your of your day to day. So, yeah, I was fortunate enough to be able to get to university, became a trained as a PE teacher locally, but I'd also been working with what was then Cheltenham Athletic Football in the community as a coach. I've done my coaching badges, and. The opportunity came up to go full time there. Took a bit of a leap. We were really—I wouldn't say lucky. We had a combination of bit of luck. Charlton Athletic it sounds like you know South East London. Well, yeah. went up into the Premier League. I think I joined in '97, and we got that was the year that season. So the, the summer '98 was the season. I think I might say that we won the playoffs. That best ever playoff final. The game against Sunderland. Was it Charles, Charles Mendonca? Yeah, it get, uh, yeah. Clive Clive. Mendonca. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: So that was the back end of my first season so we then had Premier League back down but we long and short of it, had better part of 10 years in the Premier League yeah. there was a lot of opportunity you know uh, we were based in Greenwich as you know so our home was Greenwich we did work in Greenwich Bexley but there was Kent huge area South East London overspill lots of Charlton fans um, and we just worked hard we're lucky we had a group of good people that knew we could we we're doing some good stuff worked closely with the council and it just grew and grew and I think the the community program at Charlton got to a point where, you know, and they still do, we, we were commissioned to run the youth services in Greenwich. We ran services for disabled young people. And so it grew from being a, a balls, Bibs and Cones football provider to a big sort of organisation that was, you know, in, in that space that was t- turning over the better part of £6 million for a, what was then, when I left, I think we were in League One. But the point is, it gave me exposure to... You Know, I had to be a strong all rounder, so I, I'd come through the playing coaching pathway, be licensed coach, blah blah blah. blah. But I had to put the suit on begrudgingly. But I worked on finance, you know, writing commissioning bids, but you know, and partnership working, community development. So it gave me that real sort of rounded experience, if that makes sense. And long story short, I was keen to, it was the biggest, I was with flash titles, I was chief operating officer, the chief exec. There is the guy that set up the community program at Charlton, Jason Morgan, Jason Morgan MBE. i put that in because he'll tell me if I don't. He was brilliant. He let me sort of run it, sort of to keep me there. He sort of said, You run it, I'll do the outward facing fundraising bit, which is brilliant. But I, yeah, I wanted to run one, basically. And my wife's family were in the Northwest. My wife was a senior teacher. You know what mortgages are like in the Southeast of England? We had an intimidating mortgage, and it was just the opportunity when we had kids late to for my wife possibly not to work the challenge we had and this is possibly the longest answer in the world so apologies no, my no, no, it's, absolutely <laughs> it's great carry on the, the challenge we had on a sort of personal level was Charlton was the biggest of its type and so therefore to make a move up to to head a foundation of football, I wanted to stay in the football club world well, that's my passion I'd, I could have perhaps diversified and gone into another charity world or in, back into teaching I suppose but the although it might have been, you know, I might have gone to a Premier League club or whatever, potentially might have had to take a sideways or backwards step, both in terms of professional challenge and also in terms of perhaps, uh, you know, the financial reward, know, the packet, to be blunt. And it's hard to do that, you know, all that sort of stuff. There's obviously some economies of moving, selling the house, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a friend that had, uh, I knew him well, he ran, he was in a similar role to me, at another club in London by Watford. He moved north to reinvigorate a community programme that had gone bust, actually. I think it had gone the wrong way. The Burnley Football Club used to be one of the leading football community programmes that had gone the wrong way. He reset really that up, established that. And when the opportunity came up to, you know, to go for folks who that had been interviewed, went up there, got that job as the sort of two number twos at Burnley, living on Merseyside, because that's where Wise wife's family was, so commuting over, loved it. You know, re- very, very different to South East London, East Lancashire, and Burnley. But Burnley Football Club, proper club, bang in the heart of that community, such a big part of that community. And I I don't mean a hard town in a in a critical way, but a tough. You know, it's it's the town that's had its challenges. You know, it, you know it was um obviously an industrial town, the north of England, when those industry or that industry went faced economic challenge. But a proper town with a real character and a heart. You know, some really good people there, love their club. I would challenge you that if you've ever been to Burnley, but there's no way you could walk from the football stadium to the town centre without seeing at least six Burnley you know Burnley is everywhere it's sort of omnipresent and yeah loved it uh, just over to and the, and the opportunity came up here as head of foundation and I always kept half an eye on the other when I was looking down south looking I think if I'd have stayed at Burnley the guy Neil Hart who ran it that was ambitious he wanted to be chief exec of a football club that was his passion just left actually as he became chief exec of the club after I'd left so I would have I knew there was opportunity, perhaps, to move into his role if he did that. But looking at a job coming up at Liverpool, and I just thought, you know, in my world, what an opportunity that is. You know, it's one uh, of the yeah. It's also I do have to say there must be something in it. My first full year at Burnley got into Europe, and then my first full year at uh, I, I joined here in the March. I won the Champions League and won the league the following year. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's something in it. So, the, the big money offers will be come, come rolling so in after on.
2: this goes out. Get
1: on the yeah. phone to Mike Ashley. get this lad in, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: so there's possibly something in it. But yeah, so opportunity to come here. I've been without the head of foundation for a year because the lady who ran it before had left and they'd gone through the process of trying to re-recruit and stuff. And I just thought the opportunity to develop and grow what was already happening here at a club the size of Liverpool was just too good an opportunity not to not to go for. So plus as I say, myself and my family lived on Merseyside, so it was a good fit. Sure to commute, yeah.
0: Exactly.
2: And, it, yeah. It, just, it just worked. And I think what I would say, when I first moved north, I was doing some stuff for Liverpool County FA as a coach educator or of wearing a second hat, because I almost thought there's no better way to get to know a grassroots football community than by doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. And again, it sounds like a... Sorry, it's the end of the working day. My mind's not quite working. It sounds like a stereotype, sorry, but... Football is, and I said about it at Burnley, but on Merseyside, it is such a passion. Mm. You know, I've, I've said it many times, but I guarantee you, if you get out of the train at Lion Street Station and get in a taxi, the taxi driver will ask you within two sentences whether you're a red or a blue, or if you're not from here, what team you support, etc. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a passion. It,
0: Well, yeah, you you talked about it there. And right back from talking about Charlton, actually, it's so much more than just a football club that you you talk about all the different things there that you did. And we're going to get onto that when we talk about the the foundation. But certainly I grew up, grew up two minutes from Sparrows Lane, which is the the Charlton training ground. So I saw it everywhere. Saw Charlton buses coming past and going off to do good work around the community. You were everywhere because it does ingrain itself in a community. And like you say, you know, six shirts from the train station to the ground. And it's more than just a sport. It, it does bind a community together. And, but I like the fact that you've kept your Southeast London accent.
2: up in yeah, has. It? It Sometimes I, I, I do find myself picking up not so much the accent, but words that were used. So even in Burn, I wasn't in Burnley for a long time. It's very specific words. That were, you know, people in Burnley would talk about going, going to the turf, going on, going on turf means going to the game. And I find myself, and i I talk about going going to the game, the, and just little things you pick up. But I don't, yeah. yeah. I think the accents, what they do, I get levelled out here. I've been told that I sound like DIY SOS's uh, voice double, so uh, <laughs> so I get that, and I've got that a lot more since I've moved north. So whether, whether yeah. that's about the London accent in the north, I don't know. You mentioned kind of communities as well.
0: And obviously Liverpool as a football club is massive. And, you know, if Klopp calls you, you, you take the, the call. And, and that's from the final football side. And if you're thinking about community and what you can do in a community, Liverpool have that, you know, you, you think about the club and you think about the fans and the passion that they have for it. And the fact, you know, the red and blue and the rivalry and uh, how ingrained that club is in their local community. I imagine when that job came up, it was quite a difficult one to, to, to not consider. Like, that's a big one for you.
2: And I think it was the, the, the things to consider. What was interesting was the process was really, you know, was mega robust, as you'd expect. I think it was like five interviews and it was things that I did in that process. That I hadn't I And that was a great learning experience. But I think just having, because although a, football is a small world in some ways, there hadn't historically always been a lot of movement outside of areas. So, mm-hmm. you know, I knew the, uh, the guys and girls that worked at the clubs in the South East, but I didn't know the clubs in the North as well. Everton have got a rich history of their community work and Everton in the community have done and do do some amazing work. But perhaps at Liverpool it may have got a bit lost in because of the size of the club, you know, success in recent years and I think there's just such opportunity because unfortunately there is massive need, you know, there's, in the same way say about South East London, there's huge pockets of deprivation there and that's where we target our work at Charlton, the same at Burnley. You know, it's not lost. I mean, Liverpool City region is the most deprived in, in the UK, so you've got an unusual situation where you've got two huge football clubs across the park from each other, but who coexist. You have Blues and Reds in the same family. You know, it's not like a big animosity. Yes, there's competition, but it's not a big animosity thing. There's a real passion for it and there's a need. So there's an opportunity for us to make a difference in that space. Do you guys um, work together? We do on certain projects. That, and I think what we're trying to do is develop that, to be fair. So I think there was a project was here before I started on supporting young people at risk of getting involved in crime. and and negative sort of behaviour, risk-taking behaviour, so that work. We've done work in terms of what most clubs are on a KICS project, to look at the KICS projects and how we map it and where we deliver. And we're just talking to them at the moment about saying, well, how do we, this isn't the right figure, but if there's something like 600-odd schools across the Liverpool City region, that's not right, I've got that wrong. But if we work together, even if it's about mapping, so that areas don't miss out, where can we work most, so that every young person gets the opportunities? You know, on Mersey side, to have to. You've got ourselves, Everton, Tranmere. So, how can we combine for that greater good piece? Three very different clubs. It's hard to say. It's probably equally blue and red on Mersey side. Liverpool, as you alluded to a minute, go James has got that. It's that global sort mm-hmm. of club. But Everton are a Premier League club, and they've got fans around the world as well. I think for us, I've been fortunate enough to start. We've had a sort of bit of a twelve-month delay in some respects because of COVID, but. Our heart is here. This is where most of our work is, but also working with those fans and um, around the world as well, which is in, it's off the scale. Of the, the potential there,
1: probably one of the biggest global brands in the world. Uh, probably not not too far away from your your northwest rivals, right? I'm no, sure well, I think that's the,
2: that is the. I think it's the closest for me. It's the closest comparable. I think I don't know the exacts, but I know the club. Of, we've got I think just under 320 official Liverpool sports clubs around the world. Man, you're in around the same. Passion. I was. I was fortunate enough. The foundation were part of the, the club's pre-season tour to the US in my first summer, and we went going to events. And you'd have people driving twelve hours in the US to bring their kids to a soccer camp run by me. They must have been very underwhelmed when they got. Out. <laughs> I, I remember having a conversation with one dad saying, Are "You at the game tomorrow night?" Assuming they'd made. And no, they would made that journey, and these. You know, these were guys from the US. There was sort of. Expats there as well, but that passion and there was an event in Boston. I think it was a a music venue, four or five thousand music venue, and it was packed. And the guys singing the songs about Jamie Webster, songs about you know being an for the Liverpool songs, and it, they felt and that connection is just that must have been incredible because you obviously you,
0: you must see that locally and you see the passion and you obviously the, yeah. the big sky deals and whatever and the tv deals and it so you're aware of the reach but to see it to see the people coming like you say drive 12 hours to come and see you must be I don't know, quite surreal i'd imagine it's to probably. actually
2: face it the one that sticks in my mind is there was three cities so we were in uh, south bend at the notre dame university we were, we were then in boston and then finished in new york and i had, I got up on stage, they had fan events, and I got on stage at the one in um, uh, New York at the end. And it was in it was called Carragher's Bar, this bar, so it was in a nice, and that's where the uh, official Liverpool Sports Club or one of them meets in New York. And there'd been a fan event, they've been uh, legends doing talks, different bits and pieces. And I got up to say a few words about the foundation, what we do. It, and just and when they were singing the songs, hello, 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 and all the different Liverpools, their passion, it was like, and, and, and some of the, I'm sure most of the people in there were. Never been to Anfield. Possibly we'll never get to Anfield, but that connection they have is huge, and that translates to. You know, we did some fundraising during COVID for different causes here locally, and one of the support clubs, the Norway OLSC, raised on their own, better part of ninety thousand pounds for food poverty in Liverpool. Mm. You know, and this is a global pandemic. It's not that Norway hasn't been hit, but they have that such a connection with this club and this city. But then, conversely, we're fortunate enough last summer to be on a project working with the the OLSCs, which is the official Liverpool sports clubs, about them doing work in their own communities. Um, and when you step back, and we want to grow that, but look at the sort of metrics of it, there was fans taking part across five continents, and you think God, it's just a, you know, it's yeah. But the, the scope and the potential is therefore massive. You know, it's huge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Matt, you've talked about your journey into to this role and and the pathway that you followed to get into it, and I, you know, thinking about our listeners who are probably typically in and around, you know, more more typical charities, and I don't mean that in any condescending way, no, but I think you. you know the 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 charitable organisations that are connected to football clubs, and there's loads of them. I mean, I, I can't think of many major clubs that don't have a, a charitable aspect, but. I guess my question is, is the CEO of, of a Charitable Foundation associated with one of the biggest clubs in the world, what's, what's your day-to-day job like? What, what do you do in, in that role?
2: That's a good question. I think it's a lot about... So if you think about what we do as an organisation, we run high-quality, high-impact programmes ourselves. So we run 30 different projects, primarily in the Liverpool City region. And that's focused on young people and families. So support young people and families primarily, and we employ sixty staff as a foundation. We employ our sixty staff plus around twenty or thirty sort of different sessional coaches. So we're running programs all the time. But sort of in normal times, if you like non-coaches, around hundred different schools a week, different communities, you know, venues at sports centres, ball courts, you know, wherever. So disability program, except employability, a raft of different activities. Un, at the moment, under the headings Community Skills wellbeing, so 30 programme like and that. So that's one part of what we do is run that mm-hmm. and deliver that. And that's primarily delivered through restricted grant funding. So the training sector world, that's we've applied for grants. We're fortunate enough as every club, irrespective of where they are in the in the pyramid, but every club community program can access Premier League grants through the Premier League charitable fund and other grants, you know, big lottery. The same as every charity would, so restricted grants. We then fundraise, so we fundraise as you know, run events as other charities would do. I think it's slightly different here. I think we, we used the parallel with Man U earlier, and it's probably a similar dynamic as Man United. And that we're able to fundraise and hope so. We, we've been fortunate enough to run an annual Legends game at Anfield, so the club give us the stadium. Once a year, staff work for free. We obviously, if there are sessions, we pay sessions, from and we pay. So we run that uh, annually. We've sold it out. We've played Real Madrid, AC Milan, we have be fortunate enough to sell that out. And that is a big fundraiser for us, clearly. And then we use that money, some of that money to develop and fund our own projects. And some of that money we use to then fund partners to deliver the grant to other organisations. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's if you like, so you've got delivery, fundraising, so working in partnership to develop projects. In most charities, we're we'll working in partnership someone, someone shape or thorn. But a big thing from, for us and for me personally is I think the football club badge can sometimes take over. But I'd much rather, if we're working in the mental health space, for instance, I'd much rather us come us come to the party and do what we're good at, which is about positive activities, about, you know, raising people's, you know, we're all, we're all aware of the field of how much better you feel when you're physically active and taking part. So we deliver that. We might deliver some but If people are, have got a higher clinical need, for instance, there's experts in that area, and we we'll are work to signpost, raise awareness. So that partnership piece is, to me, so important. Um, and then we've got that, I suppose, if you like, that overseas piece. But the overseas piece is really an extension. So what we look to do is work in partnership on that. So we work, we've got a global charity partner, Right to Play, mm-hmm. deliver in sort of high-need areas around the world. And we're currently working with them in one of their areas, Thailand, but we're looking to roll that out and then working with our uh, fans, our official sports clubs around the world to, to develop projects around the world. And it's and again, it's about focus on, on need, focusing on impact. And you, you're 100 right, Kenneth. I think certainly every professional club in England has a certainly has a community program. Most of which are charitable organisations, and that yeah. you'll find that often it'll extend down the pyramid now into uh, the national conference and and conference South. and some of the clubs below that in the pyramid will have will run charitable organisations that are connected to
1: the football club it's the heart of the community piece isn't it James like like mm. you were saying earlier it's like for those who are into football will probably understand it a little bit more than those who just see it occasionally on the telly or have to sit there while someone is watching it for the real supporters the clubs are the heart of the community and have been for a number of years so you know, it would make sense that actually if someone was going to have an impact to have a positive impact on, as you say, mental health, activity levels, diversity and inclusion, you know, you're in a good position because not only can you deliver the funds, but you've also got that brand behind you. You've got that community behind you that can do it. So it's impressive, really impressive. Just leading on from that, about the connection to the club. I guess some people would assume that the foundation is part of the club and therefore, you know, we, we see at the moment, we see the Premier League. we see the, the the numbers thrown around in terms of the salaries. We see the t v rights deals that have been negotiated in recent years, and everyone just thinks that oh well they just the club must just donate some money and the, the foundation does it but I'm I'm sure that the day to day running isn't isn't that simple. Can you talk a little bit more about that relationship that you have with the the separate company that is is the football club?
2: yeah, okay. and I think you, you hit down the hill, I think it's, it's, uh, we're we're a separate. We are a separate company we, the way we talk, we are the club's official charity so we are the club's charity but we are separate we have uh, club trustees and on our trustee board but we have an equal split of club and independent trustees what we receive which is the which is similar to most the model of most clubs is we receive uh, support that that's, I suppose you could you could bucket it as in kind but in terms of HR support legal support housing so we have office space at the club's main office we have so that's one of things we have, as we said, use of the stadium for the fundraiser is not to be sniffed at. Obviously, we used the badge as our main tool for engagement and for impact. The structures in that sense, the, it will vary slightly in terms of what you get and how you... But the, broadly speaking, that's the principle of most clubs. So you're, you are the club's official charity, but as separate standalone organisations in your own right. But I think our our staff, where the Club kit, it's got foundational, but we are work, on we are as far as I can say. When you represent the club in the community, both and from a Liverpool perspective, that's both locally and internationally. We deliver on behalf of the club, I suppose, in that, in that CR space. The club also have a, a CSR team that do work specifically around their football home, so at Anfield and where the Kirby training ground is. But we work very closely with a team they called, called the Red Neighbours team here. So we work very closely with that team we wouldn't exist without, we are the club's charity, you know, we wouldn't exist as a, we could, but it wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't exist without the club. It's, uh, you know, Jurgen Klopp is our ambassador. So that sort of shows a connection. And I think that, and we joked about it earlier, Mo Salah coming on, you know, that opportunity to use those players as role models, ultimately their job is to play football, but to be able to have, we had Thiago join a, one of our primary stars lessons virtually the other week and do a, the kids were teaching him Scouts, and he was teaching them Spanish. Virgil van Dyke joined the call in the first lockdown when we had some of the uh, the lads that have come through an employability program that we ran for young people that were sort of either homeless or on the edge of being home and were moving back and Virgil joined the call, you know, to have that sort of support, it gives such a lift. So that stardust there that, you know, I'm not stupid. I understand that that's hard for other charities to, to sort of match, I suppose, in one level, but and that's the same at every club. One of the main fundraisers at Burnley was we had an annual dinner where Sean Dyche was the guest and he did the Q and he was very Sean Dyche. he was open and frank and honest. I can imagine. Last, last yeah. at the bar. <laughs> and he just, I think the thing with Sean Dyche, he's, you know, in many ways, I don't know him well, well I can't remember him, up, So, all right, Sean, but he, he sees what you get, you know, he's an honest guy, he spoke his mind, he was really supportive of us. You know, comes to a club the size of Liverpool and it's the same, you know. First time I met Jurgen formally, myself and a colleague went to meet him in his office, and it was the weekend before the Man City game at home last year. Obviously, pre-Covid last season, I think it was Thursday. Or, it was the Friday, I think Thursday or Friday. They're playing Man City on Sunday. You know, and over an hour in his time, and it was almost, as, and he was still going. You know, he was, and he, he was interested. He was involved. He was making suggestions. He was, and you try not to be starstruck. And I'm thinking, God, oh, that's Jurgen Klopp. You know, that's. Um, but again, I think he's very much. From what I know, he's, he's what you see, you know, he's a big charismatic guy, he's passionate, he's, he's knowledgeable, he's super bright, he understands what we do and what charities do, I think he's involved in charity, as a lot of people in football in his own right, and he, the good thing is he, he challenged us, he talks about an event he'd been involved with, and I think we could do it this way and make it better, and you make some, sometimes I have to step back and catch myself on and think, oh, that's your giving clock, <laughs> it's not bad.
0: You know, I get the same I've got i I get to work with Kenneth Foreman. He's a big deal in the charity world, and I have to pinch myself every yeah. once in a while. You've talked about this in a previous interview, but kind of leading on from that, you've said, uh, and then kind of the thing about you're you're a global brand and you're benefiting a, a very local community. you've said how the club and the foundation feels like it owes the local community. It owes those local people. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I think it's that's a lovely thing. Mm. But, um...
2: I think that, and I don't I just think that about Liverpool. I think about all, all football clubs are born from the, generally are born from the community in which they're based. So I think there's that. We have that duty, therefore, to support and work in that community. I think we can, all clubs can, Make a difference, and kids and young people and adults as well. But will listen because it's us. And I can remember; I think it sticks in my mind when working at a previous club when we were sending. We basically, as a lot of clubs do, we employ teachers to work in schools to do to, to deliver work on numeracy. This is at Charlton many years ago when this that sort of stuff was first died. And one of the sort of senior teachers in the group said, How does it, you know, could we teach?" Why don't we just teach how? Could we take your model, and teach our teachers to deliver it, and they just do it? And I said, well, there's something in that, but ultimately, your teachers are teachers already. Well, I'm not. I'm not suggesting our staff are better teachers. It's that they come with the, the added value and that pull of the football club. And I think even if even if that young person or that adult isn't particularly into football, the fact that their local doesn't. It, I'm saying Premier League and you know, Premier League football club is, in, is interested. So there's that saying, isn't there? If you think of for kids when they feel looked after and nurtured or anyone. We all we all want to have we all want to know that someone has us in mind, someone is thinking of us. Mm. And if that is your football club that's thinking of you and has you in mind, that can be a massive lift. I'm very proud of our community, football club charities in the community. You said South East I couldn't have sounded more South East London there. More our <laughs> <laughs> I'm very proud of our community in the sense the way it has, I feel, stepped up and stepped forward during COVID. Most have done work in terms of trying to support the local community for, in, in regards to social isolation, but because some of that isolation for certainly older members of the community can be so sort of profound. But to have I'm not saying we can cure that, but to have a call from your club taking an interest, seeing how you are, so I'm, it's huge. And I, and that, so I, I that's a personal opinion. I think the slight dynamic here is I think as a as the charity of a of a global football club, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. There's a term we use, local heart and global pulse. And that's right. We shouldn't be ashamed of the fact can we use the power of that badge to do good in Bangkok or in wherever we would work with, Yeah. And if we can, why shouldn't we? This is our home. And I think it's something like 92% of our work is in the Liverpool City region. Right. I want to grow that, but I also want to grow what we do overseas as well. Cause I think we can we can make a difference here. And you know if I compare that to the work at Burnley Burnley, we were doing work overseas, but Burnley's very much about work we were doing in East Lancashire, you know, it's very much about boroughs of Burnley and Pendle, pr- primarily
1: Yeah, not uh, many fans in Thailand and Burnley, Not they? as many, perhaps, <laughs> not many I think having said that,
2: I don't know how many years they've been in the Premier League now, six or seven years it's probably growing, isn't it, with the growth of uh, so, but that's the point I think you've got yeah. that, and again, we shouldn't lose sight of the fact there is there is so much work to it, there's so much need here, you know, and socially deprived communities or you know financially deprived communities or for whatever reason whatever metric we know that they've been hit hard that it was a challenge and they've been they would have been hit hard by covid anyway Um, so all the areas where most football club foundations work certainly where we work so physical activity well-being mental health education employment there's more of it. and we we can't be the only answer but we can be we can help we can be part of trying to support communities back to Some form of, everyone keeps talking about normality or new normal, who knows what that looks like, but sounded like the fun police there, didn't I? Apologies. um. (laughs) No, you didn't. You didn't at all.
0: It's Kenneth's turn to get the drinks in this week, so I'm going to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod, or if you're a professional business person, you can find us on LinkedIn too. There's a website, domoregood.uk, packed full with episodes, blog posts, details of the team, and a link to the newsletter for your VIP content. Coming back, two pina coladas and a lager for me.
1: I, I, I did just want to rewind a, sl- a slight bit, Matt, when, when you spoke about your, your conversation with Jürgen. And it's just something that James and I have been talking about recently in regards to, to the podcast. And as we said, we, we had a, a an ex-professional footballer on a couple of weeks ago who who came out of the game and you know decided to start up his, his own charity and has been running that for the last 10, 15 years. And that was really an example, I think, of how professional athletes that are seen by the public to be at the top of the game are often knocked off their pedestal quite often by the the mainstream media. And we were saying that, you know, there's so much good work that goes on that people don't see behind the scenes. Of course, we've had, you know, Marcus Rashford and the the amazing work that he's done over the past year. But I guess the the question is, when you need someone to turn up, you need a favour from Jürgen, which, which one of the players normally comes out for you? It's an interesting one. One of the things
2: there's only lots of challenges and this one pounds in the significance of the challenge, But one of the things that's been harder to I suppose develop is those we we've been really fortunate to get support of players like this teams and Zoom and but it's been harder to develop the actual relationships we in person. So we've had a sort of twelve month delay in that. In the last few weeks, I'm thinking that have Tiago, James Milner did a video for us for our foundation day. We've had, you know, Jurgen has done video. So I think we it's, it's quite an even spread I think you'll have some James Milner runs his own, has his own foundation, foundation yeah. they've funded us so James's foundation has funded us to deliver free uh, for sports camps for young people in Anfield and Kirby I think we're we're very fortunate I think we, we, it feels like we've got a pretty socially responsible bunch and I think one of the things that I would say and this is an, easy to say I suppose but it is, it is true and I've seen it even more at Liverpool is that so many of the players do support causes and it's not they don't want. They don't want it to. They don't want the song. So I can't say all oh, Fed Blogs has given this, but they generally do. So we, on the first day, I think I'm right saying so the Premier League got postponed or suspended, what it was called. On the, I think it was about 12.30 for March. On that Saturday, we made a donation to the fan supporting food banks, the North Liverpool Food Bank, of twenty k, which the players matched, so it's forty k. And the reason for that figure, that was roughly speaking, what fan supporting food banks would have. Collected at the remaining four home games, but obviously they've been postponed. Now I know that other donations were made by, the, so let's just say, the club, so people in around the club and players, and that that was ended up being well over into you know well over into the middle hundred k's, and that's them privately making donations. Mm. So that does happen a lot, and I think the Marcus Rashford one is amazing as a young man that has chosen to use his platform mm. to you know to highlight a massive issue and. Fair play to him, and I'm probably biased. I've worked in the industry for a long time, but I, I haven't met many players who didn't want to help in some way. Is that their time? Is that financially? Is that? And I, I wouldn't put give names anywhere, but I can't think of many that have been. Uh, not for me, mate. No, they've all wanted to support. This guy's name came up in conversation today, actually. But there's a guy that the ex Charlton and West Ham player, Derby player Chris Powell, who was their manager at Charlton, I think he's in the England setup now. And there were stories that came out about, and it was, we all knew it in the club, but he was going to see sick fans on Christmas Day. He was going, you know, and there's a man that's, you know, that got out. But, it, but that, my point is that's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, but I suppose what the foundations are is almost the day-to-day embodiment of that in the sense that that's our job. It's our job to use the badge. and the, But when you can get the players involved, it does help. that?
0: <laughs> going from the the players to the to the fans it must it has a massive impact on that community because the, the game is is there and everybody's going to the game but also you're meeting your mates you're talking in the pub you are maybe getting Kenneth to buy a pint and there's so much more to it than just the game and for i think you talked a little bit about isolation there maybe that is people's that is people's social life and that's what they do to go and see their mates and they have a chat about something and they'll probably talk about you know they'll talk about james milner's form or whatever but they will also talk about stuff that's going on at home and how they're feeling and and that's been lost so it's great to hear that the foundation has stepped up and yeah we did see the stuff around the phone calls can you tell us a little bit around that about how the club reached out to people and made sure that they weren't alone yeah well so when
2: we went into that sort of obviously the first lockdown so i suppose this sort of time last year you know none of us have operated in a pandemic and a global and a national lockdown before so what do we do how do we and we realized that we could have been Guilty of running around trying to build things to all people. So I thought, right, let's try and focus here. Where can we help the most? So we we sort of got up and down to social isolation, which we called LFC Connect, food poverty, because there was a need and the club had an existing through the Red Neighbours Program, a relationship with Fans Point Food Banks and food poverty, health and wellbeing, mental health and wellbeing, keeping people physically active and connected. There's a crossover of all of these. And then we also, and, and in volunteering and community support. So, us, so we, Fortunate enough, it's a big club. So I said there's 60 full-time staff at the foundation. I think the cl- in the club, there's about 800 staff, non, non-playing staff. We were able to volunteer at local community sessions. So we had 170 different club staff volunteer their time, which we coordinated working with partners and community groups. And, and the calls were sort of a flow from that. So the neighbours already deliver projects that support the older population in around Anfield and Kirby. Some of those activities, be it a a lunch club or a Monday club, as they call it, or chair-based yoga, they couldn't physically happen. So it was about how do we stay in contact? So it was at on one level, it was as simple as the guys that run the walking football sessions, making a call every week to those guys at walking football. Chair-based yoga went online. Um, Funny enough, it's actually grown. So where it was one face-to-face session a week, it's now three a week. The coaches that were delivering our inclusion and disability coaching programmes were keeping in contact with those young people and their families. Again, that contact piece. So it was about making calls, but we also we also asked local vulnerable isolated fans if they wanted to receive a, a call regularly from the club. And I think we have a group that get a call and they're still out and that's continued since last March. It's still going on. So I think it's something like eight... I, I should have the figures in front of me. Apologies, gents, but I think it's something like 8,000 hours of calls. Or 1,500 hours of calls, 8,000. But it's... Those calls have been regular. It's been about, has there been a need? And obviously if, if, a, if a greater need flags, we call it a virtual cuppa. It's a connection. But if a greater need flags, then we, the staff have then been signposting and the staff leading on that have been the guys and girls that usually work in fan services. So they usually work on the phone talking to fans all the time. So, but that's not just been at all about foundation staff. It's been a real club effort. And then the fan link with that we asked fans, we clearly couldn't run a Legends game, we couldn't do different bits, but we'd sold our Legends game out against Barcelona. Not that it's actually in my mind or anything, but it was due to take place on the 28th of March last year. We went on sale in October 2019, just at the end, and we'd sold out in about four weeks. And we said to fans when we had to cancel it, you can have a refund, that's fine, or you can donate the money to us and we'll use it for food poverty, run it's mental health support or employability support, as we thought they were the free area. And... But, you know, they think fans donate about two hundred and sixty K, which we've been able to so over in twelve months, in total, fans, and I said, I mean, and it is fans, you know, it's not our money. We've been the conduit for raising it of generated generating about 320 K for food poverty specifically. And that's ranged from hospitality and boardroom members who, when the four games got postponed, instead of that money going back to them, they said, No, you you have it and we said, Right. We'll designate, you guys know the charity speak in the sense of some unre- that's unrestricted money, it's a donation, but yeah. we thought well, it's not right that we, they want to know that's not paying the chief's ex-salary. As important as that is, as always. It a bit more. <laughs> we, so well, we'll designate this. These are our free, these are the three areas. Where do you want it to go? And that, So £320,000 that we've been able to generate and, and support food poverty in Liverpool. And I think I'm right in saying that the St Andrews Network, who are the, the partner of the club, work with regularly have a relationship with a been able to establish ten plus new community pantries. So for five pounds, you get thirty odd quid's worth of shopping. You get choice, and then you people encourage player subscription, and so it's a self-sustaining uh, model. So again, and that's fans have done that. Yes, we've been the conduit, and that's the point. I think that we're crossing over a bit with some of the. Blows my mind that Norway over there, see Norwegian fans. We launched a Facebook appeal it's straight away. Unity, strength. Uh, food bank appeal. And I think it raised 50 to 60k. We had donations from club partners. The Stephen Gerrard Foundation made a donation, different donation. In fact, you average normal fans made a donation. But 16k of that, there or there, about 17k, was from the Norwegian OLSC. They they sort of took our thing, translated it into Norwegian, sent it out to their fans. They were, and now, the context is they're a big supporters club. They are a big old supporters club. They then came back to us when that closed, I think it was in September last year, and said, we'd like to do it again. Are you happy with that? big food potting. Yeah, I'll crack on, brilliant guys. And 70-odd thousand pounds, uh, standalone fundraiser. And we were able to then distribute that. Spoke to the Trust or Trust, distributed that to, I think it was 12 of the food banks across just before Christmas. So uh, it was something like 12, 13,000 pounds each of those food banks. So yeah, it, that capacity for fans to step up at that time is amazing and I think that was my point when I said I was proud of the foundation and I mean foundations and football and uh, you know there's been so many amazing stories I think nationally and internationally but certainly nationally of, of football club charities, fan groups stepping up in at this time yeah.
1: I, w- I wanted to ask you Matt about you know as the recently appointed CEO and congratulations by the way we saw that in some of the correspondence that we had before but obviously stepping up to that CEO, you've obviously been involved with the organisation for the for the last couple of years. Sound like you've got some incredible work already under your belt and and I'm sure the team have done exceptional work. But coming out of the other side of COVID and this pandemic, we know there's going to be a lot of challenges in society. I'm sure Liverpool and the surrounding areas isn't on its own in that and actually across the country. As a CEO of the foundation, what are you looking to achieve over the next 12 18 months
2: i think we in a funny sort of way we i think we want to focus on doing not more projects but more of what where we can help most and have most impact So i suppose more of what we're good at so i think there's a doing more good management. yeah <laughs> It's been a while, James, hasn't it? It's been a while since someone said... I thought you were going to say it then, Matt. I was like... You were were chipping it up for me and I I did (laughs) So, yeah, I think for us, we see, in terms of growth, I mean, in terms of where our work we feel should be. So, we've all seen what anyone with half a connection, it's not just about sport and physical activity, but just getting outside, but the lift, I think, that the nation's had from being able, you know, whether that's going swimming, whether it's playing golf, whether that's walking with more friends, whether have spot the Rafa top there, James, where it's going cycling, not just in a group of two, but in a, you know, the, the peloton can get back out again. That has given a huge lift and I think there's more. So we want to give the opportunity for more young people and older to play sport, get involved in physical activity. I think part of that is mental health and wellbeing and there's more work now. I think employability, us supporting more young people. Lots of people have been impacted by the pandemic employment will have gone up unemployment will have gone up nationally certainly in this region working and certainly young people some more work in that area so we want to increase the work we do locally we've just we've been fortunate enough to get some funding to work in partnership to establish community hubs so where I'm based here in North Liverpool and Anfield the Anfield Sports Community Centre this is our home but we don't run this we're we're a tenant here but this is our home and we're we're partners here but to establish centres in the eventually in the six boroughs of Merseyside, where we can run our activities from. They'll all be a bit different, depending on the needs in that particular community. And also to start fundraising again to support other local charities. We were fortunate enough to just, and again, I can't take credit because I just started, I started in mid-March. We played, I think I started on the 4th of March-ish, or 4th, 4th I think. We played uh, AC Milan Legends on the 24th or something. Sold out. Oh, that was great. I look great. Um <laughs> uh, Anfield, but I would absolutely nothing to do with it other than going to the game but from that we, were, we supported uh, it's called Radio City Cash for Kids it's a local fund and that, the grant that we go to them then funded a further 30 different charities across this region to work with young people so we want to get back to doing more of that and the big thing I think we talked about at the top we need to get better at looking at our impact and what difference it does actually make and talking about that and then using that as a enabler to do more to prove that it does work I think the sector perhaps has certainly thought has been a bit know, slow, but it's perhaps we can do more because it does make a huge difference. And we, I think we need to, we shouldn't be ashamed of that, but we need to demonstrate it properly and impact it. And So I think we're going to, have, we will be focusing on that. And we, we want, we'd like to grow the work we do overseas as well, but certainly not at the detriment to here. It would be as well as doing yeah.
0: more here. To kind of begin to wrap things up, it sounds like you've been doing quite a lot. So to talk about doing more is, is admirable. Um, and I guess in the in the very short term, did I see that Anfield is a vaccination centre? So getting yeah. people in, the work that you're doing in the community builds that trust with the local community. They come in, get vaccinated, get back to the games, get the, get the crowds back
2: in. Yeah, we all know. I mean, we love, you know, we're all, we talk about it, we're all football fans. I say it quietly here, but I'm a West Ham fan to so my sins. I think I might have mentioned it earlier, but we all... We all love football, we all love, but, it's, but it's not the same without fans, is it? We want we, we've got to get fans back in safely, obviously. And I think everyone's desperate for that. So the quicker that can happen, the better. Um, well, your Liverpool, anyway. I, I, I ha- I'm not saying this because I work here, but the atmosphere at Anfield when the stadium is something else. I don't think I've experienced anything quite like it. My first, I'd, I've never been here. I've been to other stadiums as an away fan. I've never been to Liverpool, and there's been some great atmospheres when I have worked at you know Turf Moor and the Valley, and you know let's not do of like, the Valley. Twenty-seven odd thousand, but it's four. It's jumping. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I snuck into the home end to, to watch Arsenal
0: a few times, and yeah, I was a bit scared. A bit scared, you <laughs> know.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I grew up watching West Ham and Upton Park, and a, but certainly midweek games under you know. But the atmosphere at yeah. and they come out, and, you know, it's something else. But and I think the I think the players feed off that that. Is that talk yeah. about being the twelfth man or twelfth person? There's, there's something in that, in there. and for all you know, for all clubs, irrespective of size, but it's, it's be unbelievable! I think even when I, w- I didn't go, obviously, but I think when two thousand fans, we were in a tier where we could get two thousand fans in just before Christmas. I think, yeah, I think all about getting some fans in before the end of the season. Yeah. It's a step forward that'll be, you know, massive. So we're all. I think we're all. I'm, I'm quite a simple person. If I can get my hair cut in a couple of weeks, have a pint, and go to the football, I'll be quite happy.
1: <laughs> I haven't had curly hair since I was four. I think
2: cool. to be honest, so. uh yeah. My wife told me About two weeks ago That I was growing a mullet And she said I want to cut it And then as she started doing it I realised she was doing it With kitchen scissors And it was You it do was... me with the clippers In the first lockdown And I looked like A grey baked bean With scars So I <laughs> but, You know It feels it certainly feels More positive But as you said The, the vaccination centre At the stadium We're not the only stadium I think St Helens rugby Locally You know It's just getting but seeing that It's so massive I've driven past There's one at Vaccination centre at the mosque in Liverpool, just doing out on the way here. There's a queue around, you know, it's brilliant to see that. Yeah. You know. Positive times ahead. Well, Matt, look,
1: thank you so much for that. I think that was really a really unique perspective, and actually something that we haven't covered on the podcast before is that the community focus of uh, of the club, and you know, you talking about the impact and the projects, you know, loads of really great stuff in there. And so it's been it's been a pleasure to to hear, you know, hear you speak and and, and get the opportunity to, to ask you some questions. So so thank you for that. And I'm sure people will find it interesting because I think what, what we what, what we'd want to do by this is just show there's different routes into the charity sector. It takes all different types of people and people can come in from all different, different places. So, you know, you've certainly done that, but we're not going to let you go quite yet. We've got a couple of quick fire
0: questions for you go on James do you want to go first yeah I'll go first so uh, question number one what is the one failure that you've had in your life that you've learned the most from
2: uh, oh, good question uh, oh, one I think I I remember I didn't do a return for it it wasn't a large amount of funding it didn't a return and, the, and it was when I was working the shop and we lost some funding it's not because it was a different it, it's not because it wasn't a good project it's because I didn't I didn't fulfill the criteria which is the easy bit if that makes sense we we delivered a project it was a great project and we didn't I didn't for whatever it did return so I I learned that early on and that sort of taught me I don't always get it right but that taught me try and do less things well than loads of things okay yeah yeah that's good
1: if you're having a tough day and you know things aren't going going so well who's that person that you'd call for some inspiration who would lift you
2: up Ooh, what, in real life or if I could call anyone?
1: Oh, ooh. Ooh. that's a different stunt on it. I'll tell you what, you can call anyone. We'll go that way.
2: Well, not that I've got his number. I'm not pretending <laughs> um, I can call him. But I think from my limited experience of him, Jurgen Klopp's a pretty inspirational guy. I think if I was able to and could call him, I think he would give me that lift of inspiration. It's he's going to sound a bit cheesy, this, but in the all-time hero status piece, I, I was fortunate enough to spend quite a few years with Charlton, doing delivering projects in South Africa, and uh, I can remember where I was. I was delivering a coaching program, driving home in the UK the night that Nelson Mandela died, and I dead, and I'm, I don't want to meet him. nearly South East London geezer that was pulling my eyes out in the car on my own. I think if you could call him, what an inspiring guy, he'd be what what he did, and yeah. he didn't descend into what could have been hate. He used it. So I think what an inspiring, and I think on a on a similar level, I think I like to get on my wife, you know, I'm a little boy. He'll ask me about dinosaurs and God knows what else, and uh, that keeps me sane. And I think I'm for, I've been fortunate enough to work with some really good people. Two colleagues of mine that I call quite—if I'm named to, the guy as I mentioned earlier, Jason Morgan, who still heads up the charity at Charlton. Mark Lecky has gone across to—he heads up the charity at Harlequins Rugby Union. It's quite good to talk to people in the sector who are not just at your club. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, we do a lot of that in, in kind of our side of the charity sector as well. Just break out from that.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, that was a, I've, I've given you a rock. what's a game? Well,
0: you have. And then um, then there's the third question, which might overlap, actually. So as a podcast that is focused around people doing more good, what's your favourite story or inspiring individual you have met on your journey recently who has done something good for others?
2: Mm. Oh, good question. I think they've done it for others. I think I'm going to use, there's so many I think we know you know in our sectors there's so many, I think for you I think the fan supporting food bank story here is an interesting one, it's a movement, there's two guys, Ian Byrne and Dave Kelly, Ian's a big Liverpool fan and he's an MP now, he's an MP for West Derby Dave Kelly's a massive blue but I think they started it as they had a wheelie bin outside Goodison and a wheelie bin outside Anfield each week and collecting food and that's grown into the fence, Point Food Bank movement and so I think that's pretty inspiring you know there's no that's agenda nice. there they just wanted they saw there was a need and it's grown all right we've been able to generate funds for the food banks but what I know of St Andrews the guys we work with the, the work they do day in day out it's a part of our world the charity world is volunteer led you know there's lots of volunteers in that so that what they do is that's pretty inspiring yeah. Lucky to do this job but I'm paid to do it it's a job I enjoy but so those volunteers that do it, that's pretty inspiring. 100%.
1: Shout out yeah. to them. Brilliant. Matt, thank you so much for that. Mm. We'll, we'll let you go. If you, mm. any, if anyone mm. wants to kind of reach out to you or, or have a look a little bit more about what the
2: foundation does, where, where would they go? Yeah, so it just if you put in LFC Foundation, our website will come up. We're, we've got a link off of the main LFC site as well. So look at what we're doing. If you're interested, drop line. As I said, we work in partnership. We're always looking to, to do more. So yeah, get in touch and hopefully uh, hopefully, are in of interest. It, it certainly has, I'm sure.
0: All right, James, any final thoughts? No, it certainly has been of interest. It's been brilliant. So Leo's got a big act to follow next week, hasn't he? Cool, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Exactly. Thank you very much. Cheers, Peter. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Cheers, gents. Cheers.
1: Just before we go, can we ask you a favour? If you enjoyed this episode and you
0: made it this far after all and want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd really love a review on iTunes alternatively if you haven't got anything nice to say then say it in an email get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk more good.uk and let us know how we can improve the show we'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good